From Eyewitness News, this is Newsmakers. Welcome to Newsmakers, I'm Tim White. We are just days away from the Massachusetts primary and later on in the show, a political roundtable on the hotly contested Markey Kennedy Senate race. But first, we want to spotlight another key contest, and that's the Democratic primary in the 4th Congressional District, which Joe Kennedy currently represents. Now, seven Democrats are vying for the nomination to succeed Kennedy. Earlier this month, Ted Nisi moderated a two-hour debate featuring all the candidates hosted by Stonehill College. And today, we're going to show you a portion of that so you can meet the candidates. Now, the candidates who joined Ted for the first half of the debate were Brookline attorney Ben Siegel, City Year co-founder Alan Casey, and epidemiologist Dr. Natalia Linos. Now, you will see a fourth candidate on your screen, tech entrepreneur Chris Zanitos, but he dropped out this week and endorsed a rival candidate, Jesse Mermel. Here is my colleague, Ted Nisi. I hear from voters often who say this race is hard for them to follow, with eight candidates running and so much else going on in the country, uh, and, and quite a bit of agreement across the candidates on some issues. Some people say they like multiple of you, uh, but they do have to choose one of you on primary day coming up. So I'm going to put the first question to Mr. Siegel. What is the biggest difference between you and all the other seven members of this primary field that is the unique reason voters should pick you in the primary. First of all, thank you, Ted, uh, for moderating tonight, and thank you, Stonehill College, for hosting tonight's debate. I think the biggest difference is perspectives and approach. My approach is we the fourth. All of us are in this together, that we're so much stronger when we are united than when we are divided. It's why I'm the only candidate who has visited all 34 cities and towns. It's why I'm the only candidate who has participated in over 20 different marches and rallies and protests in over 15 different cities and towns. From perspectives, I grew up in a blue-collar, middle-class family in a suburb of Boston, the only candidate to do that. I worked in the for-profit, non-profit, and government. And I would be the first Latino ever elected to Congress from Massachusetts. That is a differentiating maker. Thank you, Mr. Siegel. Mr. Casey, same question to you. A lot of candidates, voters trying hard to make up their minds. Many of them like multiple of you. Why should they cast their ballot for Alan Casey? You know, we're living in an unprecedented historical moment, Ted. We have three major crises all converging. The coronavirus health crisis, the resulting economic crisis, and the racial justice crisis sparked by the brutal killing of George Floyd. This is bringing us to what I call a New Deal moment led by movement politics. I understand that no one person, no, not even one congressperson can do this alone. It's going to take all of us building a movement. That's been the story of my life. My friends and I started City Year. We invented it over 30 years ago. We knew we had to build a model and a movement, and that's what we did to pass three major pieces of federal legislation, a movement that beat Tom DeLay when he tried to kill the AmeriCorps program and stopped Mitch McConnell when he opposed its expansion under President Obama. What I bring to this approach is the experience of how to tap this energy in the streets, use it to break open the doors of Congress, get the special interests out, and finally restore government of, by, and for the people. I'm the only candidate that's actually done that already, and I know I can do it again. Dr. Linos, again, uh, eight candidates, a lot of different people for people to learn about. What's your unique case? What do you uniquely bring for voters in the 4th District? Ted, that's an easy answer, because we're in the midst of a global pandemic, and I'm the only person with a public health degree. I'm a public health leader, an epidemiologist, 
And that is what our country needs right now. With 160, 170,000 Americans having lost their lives, more than 5 million infected, and no plan at the federal level, we need people who have the skills and the background to put a plan into action. I'm also a mom of three young kids. I lead a center on health and human rights. And it's important for voters to know that I'm not an epidemiologist that has been in a lab for 15 years. I have been a leader at the United Nations leading work on climate change and health. I have been at the New York City Health Department as science advisor during another big pandemic, Ebola. And I know what it takes to communicate well. You know, risk communication is critical right now. What it takes to plan to ensure that we get out of this mess safely and reopen our schools and reopen our economy. But fundamentally, I am the only candidate for the moment as the only epidemiologist and the only one with significant global experience. Now, you just heard from three of the Democrats vying for the nomination to replace Joe Kennedy in Massachusetts' 4th Congressional District, which includes much of Bristol County. Now, another excerpt from their recent virtual debate moderated by Ted Nisi. This time, you'll hear from Newton City Councilor Becky Grossman, former Federal Reserve Regulator Isan Leckie, former Brookline Select Board member Jesse Mermel, and Newton City Councilor Jake Auchincloss. I do want to begin with the same question I posed to your four competitors in the first hour. Voters are overwhelmed, I would say, many of them, by the number of choices they have in this fourth district race with eight Democrats. I'd say all of you running hard for this seat. And I'm going to give the first question here as the drawing showed to Ms. Grossman. What is the biggest difference between you and all the other seven Democrats who are trying to win the votes of fourth district voters and is the reason they should vote for you? Ted, I'm running for Congress with the fierce urgency of a mom fed up by what's going on in this country and determined to make change. As the mom to two little kids, my daughter Madeline, who is nine, and my son Jack, who's six, I wake up every day thinking about what's going to protect the interests of working families and the long-term best interest for our kids and the generations to come. In my son Jack's first days of kindergarten, I had to struggle to find the words to explain to him what it would mean to find a quiet place to hide in his classroom or run in a zigzag pattern if the shooter were to show up there. That is not a conversation that any parent should ever have to have with their child. And I think that if we had more than 25 out of 435 members of Congress who are moms of school-aged children, we could change the conversation in Washington completely. All right, thank you. Ms. Leckie, I'll go to you with the same question. There are eight candidates. Voters are struggling to keep track of all of you. What is the biggest difference between you and the other seven in the primary field that voters should know? Ms. Leckie, I think you're on mute. Uh, we, I should say to the people at home, we are not controlling the muting. Uh, we're letting the candidates control that. So I'll give you the question again. Ms. Leckie, what is the biggest difference between you and the other seven candidates running for voters to know? Well, I do, you know, our district deserves a representative that comes both with the lived experiences and the professional experiences to fight for the most vulnerable in our communities. Um, as somebody who, uh, you know, went through the struggle of poverty in the richest country in the world, and as somebody who believes that every bit of success we build for ourselves is a success that we use for the betterment of society, of the betterment of the most vulnerable, I am committing to abolishing poverty in our country. And as a Wall Street regulator who fought the biggest banks on Wall Street to make sure that we have an economy that does not take advantage of the sick and of the most vulnerable, I'm committed to leading this fight. And I'm the only one who has 
zero special interest corporate PAC and lobbyist money on this campaign. So I will serve the people at 100%. Ms. Mermel, same question. Uh, eight candidates, a lot for voters to sift through. What do you uniquely bring to this race that the other seven don't? Well, Ted, thanks to you and to Stonehill for having us tonight. I would say three things. One, I'm the proven progressive. Two, I've got the track record and the coalition to back it up. And three, I'm not trying to buy this seat. You know, I've spent the past 20 years working for the people of this district and the people of Massachusetts to make progressive change, to stand up for working families. As the head of external affairs at Planned Parenthood, working side by side with Governor Patrick as a senior member of his team, uh, on the ground as a select board member in Brookline where I focused on tackling climate change or the work I've been doing the past five years leading the state's progressive business organization. I have the results fighting for paid family and medical leave, for reproductive health care and a health care system that works for everyone, fighting for working families every day. And that's why you're seeing the progressive community rally behind my campaign like no one else in this race. Planned Parenthood, NARAL, SCIU, Mass Teachers Association, Mass Nurses Association, Ayanna Presley, Maura Healy, Diane Patrick, Suzanne Bump, and so many others. We're a people-powered campaign, not taking money from corporate PACs or from fossil fuel industry executives, uh, and certainly not fi financed by personal wealth. Uh, I've released six years of my tax returns because I'm beholden to only the voters of the 4th Congressional District. All right, Ms. Rimmel, I'm confident we're, we're this well, makes me stand out, well I'm glad to be with you tonight. Thank you. I want to bring in Mr. Auchincloss. Now, Mr. Auchincloss, eight Democrats, many uh, some voters don't know if there are many differences. What is the biggest difference about you from the other seven candidates? Thanks for moderating tonight, Ted. First, an ironclad determination to stand up to the dangerous and hateful agenda of Donald Trump and his enablers. We need to rip it out by the root. And second, the ability to build coalitions so that we can rebuild as a country for the day after the Trump administration. As a Marine officer, I commanded Americans from all walks of life overseas. As a city councilor back at home, I built progressive coalitions and worked with others to get real progress made on the environment, on housing, on transportation, on public safety. And then on this campaign, when the Boston Globe endorsed me, they said I was a candidate best prepared to represent a district of haves and have-nots. And I've built that coalition on the ground as a candidate with tremendous support, not just from my hometown in Newton with people who have seen me work, but also from the mayor of Fall River and the state rep uh, from Taunton and Somerset and the state rep from Fall River as well, who have seen that I'm gonna be a partner to them in Washington, D.C., uh, to a part of the district that has too often been overlooked and that needs to be a part of an inclusive economic recovery. So standing up to the dangerous and hateful Trump agenda and building coalitions that can get us forward the day after he leaves office. Thank you, Ted and Stonehill College. When we come back, a political roundtable looking at another big race, Joe Kennedy taking on incumbent Senator Ed Markey. Stay with us. You're watching Newsmakers. Welcome back to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White. Tuesday is the Massachusetts primary, and for the second half of the program, a political roundtable on what you need to know, especially in the hotly contested Marky Kennedy matchup. Welcome to this Massachusetts political roundtable. On the upper left is Professor Shannon Jenkins, a political science professor from UMass Dartmouth. In the lower left, we have Steph Murray. She's author of uh, Politico Massachusetts Playbook, and in the lower right, Ted Nisi, he's politics editor for WPRI 12. Hi, everybody. Thanks again for joining us and getting everybody ready with this uh, primer going into the primary, which most people are watching this on a Sunday, that is uh, on Tuesday. So 
we'll talk about the crowded race to replace Joe Kennedy. We had uh, some of Ted's debate on the first half of the program, but let's talk about the other Kennedy race, and it's his Senate challenge to incumbent Ed Markey. Steph, we'll start with you. Uh, it seems to me the Kennedy campaign has decided to remind people his last name is Kennedy. Um, on my way into work today, I heard Ted Kennedy's widow, uh, Vicki Kennedy, on WGBH, and Ethel uh, Kennedy has been in some videos. They seem to be leaning into the Kennedy name at the last minute. This is a really interesting pivot for Congressman Kennedy. At the beginning of the race, and even until a few uh, months ago, he was kind of looking at being a Kennedy as sort of something that was working against him. He felt like folks were looking for a reason to kind of detract from him and saying, you know, you're only running for this seat because you're a Kennedy. You'll only uh, be successful because you're a Kennedy. And so he felt like he had to struggle against his last name. But Senator Ed Markey has really forced the Kennedy issue in the final weeks of this contest. Uh, he's kind of uh, started to poke fun at the Kennedy name. Uh, when a Boston Globe columnist came to his house to see if he was there, he was in the driveway and he said, welcome to the compound, obviously a reference to the Kennedy compound in Hyannisport. Uh, he's pressed Congressman Kennedy on whether his father, uh, the former Congressman Joe Kennedy II, might put old campaign funds into a super PAC to support his son. And perhaps most, uh, the one that got the most attention was at the end of a Markey campaign video, he kind of turned the famous JFK line, uh, ask not what your country can do for you. He turned it on, his, on its head and said, it's time to start asking what your country can do for you. And so Kennedy said, you know what? Fine, if you wanna talk about my family, we will talk about my family. And now you see members of the Kennedy family out in full force and you know, it's probably a, tactic that will be successful because the Kennedy name and the Kennedy family is beloved in Massachusetts. So that's interesting. You, you say there, Markey almost kind of pushed the Kennedy campaign into embracing the Kennedy name. Professor, what do you think? Is it a, is it a sign of desperation by the Kennedy campaign or is it a strong finish? You know, maybe a little bit of both. I mean, I do think in, in some ways, Kennedy wasn't getting a lot of traction with the other sort of tax he was taking. Um, I still don't think, you know, people ask me, why is Joe Kennedy running? And I don't think he's ever, you know, this late into the campaign delivered an effective response to that question. Um, and so I still think he's kind of feeling around even this late in the campaign for what's going to give him traction. And with Markey forcing his hand, I think uh, Stephanie's right that he's definitely leaning into this um, in the hopes, I think, that it will give him some traction and that it will... Um, you know, means something. Um, color me a skeptic about sort of the value of the Kennedy name. I mean, I do think it is meaningful to some swaths of the electorate, um, particularly maybe the places where Kennedy is already doing well. Um, but I think for younger voters in particular, um, I think that name is maybe even a negative for them, um, sort of, you know, with a, an anti-establishment sort of take. I think they are... Um, they're not drawn in by the, by the Kennedy name for younger voters. So do you, I mean, there's been a call, Professor, by some people like, well, why didn't he do this sooner? Um, it sounds like you don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, I think Stephanie's 100% right that he saw it as a double-edged sword, right? That if you're running on the Kennedy legacy, then that's all you've got. Um, but I do think coming into the home stretch, right, and the momentum definitely seems to be on Markey's side. <laughs> right now that, that Kennedy is really trying to figure out how to stop that momentum. And this is, I think, where, where he's come to, to rest his, you know, his 
everything on his campaign on is on that name. Ted, um, let's pivot to you here. You have covered Joe Kennedy as congressman for the fourth district in Massachusetts for years, but you're also in contact with the um, upper echelon of the Markey campaign. What is the sense you get from them on how they're feeling about this? Because I mean, I think the last time we all met, didn't somebody use the word underdog for, for Markey? How are they, how are they feeling? Well, you know, sometimes underdogs win, right? Uh, that's that's what makes political campaigns exciting. I think uh, I agree with what uh, Steph and Shannon said. I think the Markey campaign, you know, some people are skeptics about momentum, but if it's a thing, it's it's with the Markey campaign clearly right now. I mean, the I think the Kennedy folks fundamentally their strategic thinking about where voters would wind up thinking about Ed Markey was wrong. And a little part of me can't blame them because I think all of us, I think Steph and I have talked about it, these, this reinvention of Ed Markey, who's been in Congress since before I was born uh, as a, you know, leftist uh, AOC type of candidate. I mean, he voted for the Iraq war, you know, when Ted Kennedy did. So it's, it's quite an impressive reinvention. And, and I had a friend say to me, she was like, yeah, you know, all my friends, someone my age said, well, yeah, a, lot, a bunch of my friends, we hadn't really heard of Ed Markey until Joe Kennedy started running against him. Then we Googled him and we really liked him. <laughs> and that is not what the Kennedy people expected, right? They were, you know, the buzz in Massachusetts politics, it's no secret, has always been Ed Markey, doesn't spend a lot of time in Massachusetts. He has a nice house in Maryland. And, you know, some of the mayors, especially down our way in the Southeast, complain they don't get, you know, the kind of TLC they got from Ted Kennedy. But you know what? Voters Googled the guy. They didn't see that. They saw AOC. They saw the Green New Deal. And especially this year, that's big in a Democratic primary. So I think particularly when paired with the fact that Joe Kennedy has struggled even to enunciate their case against Ed Markey uh, to the extent they had one, uh, it's really been, been tough for him. But you, you have to give the Markey campaign, Ed Markey himself and John Walsh, his chief strategist, a lot of credit for this. And they're also just riding, I think, a movement in the Democratic Party. Stephanie Murray of uh, Politico, Massachusetts. So, you know, Ted's analysis there, I don't have the polls in front of me, but, you know, Markey's doing pretty well in the polls. Why is that? Why, is, why did his numbers st suddenly start to increase? So, I mean, to echo what Ted said, you know, to get back in a time machine to last summer, uh, Ed Markey already had two lesser known primary challengers because even uh, candidates without, you know, the support of a lot of uh, institutional strength, a member of the House, they thought that they would have a path against Ed Markey because he had a relatively low name ID. Uh, he's kind of been in the shadow of other well-known Massachusetts figures, John Kerry, Elizabeth Warren, Ted Kennedy, the late Ted Kennedy, um, and his favorability was relatively low, uh, but he was able to kind of take Take that, which I think many saw as his biggest weakness, and turn it into his biggest strength. Uh, voters under the age of 30 last year, 70% of them did not know who he was or have an opinion of him. And now, fast forward to August of 2020, he's leading voters under 30 by 70% over Joe Kennedy. Uh, and that's where you see, you know, three polls came out yesterday that all showed Markey with a lead outside of the margin of error. Um, and so that's been really the secret weapon for him to redefine himself to younger voters. And I think Going back to talking about the Kennedy name, I think Markey was sort of able to define the Kennedy name as not such a great thing before Kennedy could remind everyone uh, that it is a good thing. Uh, since Ed Markey started leaning into that conversation first, he was able to kind of set the tone uh, when it came to the Kennedy family. Um, I do also want to make one point. I think, you know, give credit to the Markey campaign, but I think the reason why Markey has been able to define himself so well among young voters is because he has the bona fides on the environment. And that's the issue that young voters care about. When we're talking about the polling and, and how difficult it is to predict turnout, I mean, 
a lot of it is there's some concern from election officials that there might not be enough people to work the polls for people to actually go who don't uh, do the mail ballot to go and actually cast a vote. How are you worried about this election or should I be asking how worried are you about this election? You know, I, I think turnout in primaries is generally speaking pretty low. You know, I went back in preparation for this and in 2016, it was like just under 9%. Um, in 2018, it was higher, it was about 22% in the primary. Um, you're not gonna see, and plus ever, a lot of people are mail-in voting. So I don't think there's gonna be huge problem with lines and volumes of people. I think in November, that will be a bigger issue. Step, just sticking with turnout, but zooming more in on the fourth congressional race, which is uh, where I wanna turn the conversation to, and that is of course the race to replace Joe Kennedy uh, in Congress. Do you think there's going to be a, a large turnout uh, in, the, in the fourth because of, you know, just the number of candidates and the attention that that race has gotten? And more importantly, as a reporter, when are we going to know what, who won the thing? <laughs> I was, you know, I have to tell you, I was thinking about taking a week off in September after, you know, the whole primary crunch. But looking at this race and thinking about the possibility that the ballots may not be counted as quickly as we're used to, I thought, you know what, I think I better stick around. It's hard to know what the turnout is going to be, particularly because what we've talked about, uh, the per, like mail-in voting is something the state's never done before. We know that turnout is relatively, it's on track to be relatively high. The Secretary of State uh, in Massachusetts says that over a million people have requested mail-in ballots, but there's no way to know right now how many people are going to get those ballots that they requested back in time and then put them back in the mail and have them reach city and town clerks in time for eight o'clock on September 1st when they're due. And then once you compound that on top of a crowded congressional race, um, where are we at? Seven candidates now? I think a couple have dropped out this week. Um, it's likely that whoever wins is only going to win with a couple percentage points uh, with such a crowded field. Yeah, I think, uh, and it, by the way, the campaigns are prepared for that. I, I asked one of the leading fourth district campaigns today, do you think there's any chance we'll know the winner on, on that uh, Tuesday night? And she laughed. Um, so, they, you know, their operating assumption is this is not going to be a landslide for somebody. Uh, it's going to be tight. There's going to be ballots outstanding. You might even have, I'm wondering even about visibility. Are we going to know for sure which towns have incorporated the mail ballots? Because one thing uh, you need to remember is you might see 100% of precincts reporting or something in some places. But I, I know depending on the systems that are used, that could be without mail ballots, meaning most of the vote. Um, so, Voters should, as Shannon has uh, talked about before, voters should be ready and sort of, this is not your typical election night. So you have to be, you have to be prepared for patience on finding out who won. That's not necessarily a sign of chicanery. Uh, it might even be a sign that they're trying to figure it out correctly. Final thoughts, we'll go around the uh, Zoom here and we'll start with you, Ted. Uh, final thoughts on either of the race. We started talking about Marky Kennedy. We shifted to uh, MAO4. Um, you know, I guess another way you could ask it is, what's the number one thing you're going to be watching for Tuesday night? I mean, obviously, if, if we know Tuesday night that someone won the Senate race, it probably means Ed Markey won. And that's a watershed, I think, in Massachusetts democratic politics, uh, if that were to happen. And if Joe Kennedy pulls it out, uh, I have to think, I mean, he ran really strong in our region. Um, you know, Ed Markey, he started his bus tour here, but he hasn't been here in a while. So, you know, and then the fourth district, I think that race, uh, whoever wins that, that's going to, you know, there are two Republicans in the fall, but we know it's a strongly democratic seat. 
with Rhode Island expected to lose a House seat, uh, this region, it's, it, Rhode Island's going to need to partner with that uh, fourth district congressperson to advocate for southeastern New England uh, if there's only one member of the House from Rhode Island. So I think it matters regionally for our viewers in Rhode Island who might think, well, I can't vote in these. I think it matters. Excellent point. Okay, uh, Professor Jenkins, we'll go to you next. What's on your mind? So I, w I think I agree with Ted that this region of the state is going to matter. It's, it's, it's one of the regions that is not sort of solidified in its political loyalties, and so it swings. Um, by the time this airs, um, Ted, unfortunately, your news will be old news because my, my understanding is the market campaign is coming down to Fall River in New Bedford on Friday. Oh, um, <laughs> there you go. Okay. So it underscores the importance of this region um, to not just the Marky Kennedy campaign, but I think all statewide races. It is one of the few sort of purplish regions of uh, the state. And so I think it's going to be critical to um, both the Marky Kennedy uh, race and many races to come over, over the next few years. Steph Murray, you get the final word. Oh, man. You know, I would say that the energy in the Democratic Party right now is on generational change and it's on progressive change. Those two things are not the same thing. And I'm wondering if Massachusetts voters will want either. Um, on Super Tuesday, you might remember Joe Biden swept Massachusetts, uh, beating two progressives, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. And so I think progressivism and generation are on the ballot. And I'm looking to see if voters uh, want something that they didn't want on Super Tuesday. My thanks to Stephanie Murray, Shannon Jenkins, and Ted Nisi, and thank you for watching. If you missed any of it, it's on WPRI.com, or take us with you with our podcast. I'm Tim White. We'll see you next week on Newsmakers.